Welcome to the Coin Podcast Network. Everywhere you look, climate change and the catastrophes that come with it are front page news. Our front page news. Global warming has entered our lexicon, and the planet we call home is in trouble. The effort to stem the tide is the fight of this generation and a fight for all future generations. future generations. In September 2021, the COIN Podcast Network took an in-depth look at the problems associated with human-caused global temperature increase. Now it's time to talk about solutions. My name is Ian Costello, and I'm deeply concerned about the damage we are doing to our environment. So I'm on a mission to explore the developing technology that could save us from ourselves before it is too late. Before it is too late. You are listening to Climate in Crisis on the COIN Podcast Network. Energy production, specifically energy produced from traditional sources like coal and natural gas, continues to be one of the biggest contributors to carbon emissions on the planet, and therefore one of the biggest contributors to human-caused global climate change. So what do we do about it? Here in the Pacific Northwest, several industries are racing to answer that question and to begin mitigating climate change before it is too late. Today, a conversation with Nicole Hughes, the Executive Director at Renewable Northwest. She explains the state of renewable energy development in our region, the potential pitfalls, and the economic and social impact we could all feel from carbon-neutral energy creation. Nicole Hughes, thank you very much for joining me today and helping me better understand the state of renewable energy here in the Pacific Northwest. We'll get into your organization here in a minute, but I'd like to start with getting to know you a little bit better. What's your connection to the renewable energy effort and how important is renewable energy to you? Wow, I don't get to talk about this often, so thanks for asking. <laughs> um, yeah, I, in a, on a personal note, I have been in, in sort of the environmental conservation world for most of my career. I started out do, working for federal agencies doing resource conservation, mostly focused on actually cultural resources. I did, I did my background in archaeology and then went to work at Bonneville Power in like 2006, I believe. And kind of fell in love with energy, uh, especially during the early stages of the wind boom in the, in the region, um, just became a, a renewable energy enthusiast. So I have developed wind energy projects and solar energy projects that are now operating in this region. I've done work on the consulting side, looking at environmental impacts. I've also done work in consulting side, looking at how to evaluate projects for tax equity finance and mergers and and acquisitions. I wanted to move into a space where I was feeling like all the efforts I was working on were making a difference in my community. So that's where I found myself now. Obviously, it's something that's important to you. What do you do every day in your chair at Renewable Northwest? What's the daily mission? What do you do? So the daily mission has changed over time. This organization has been around for over 25 years. And the original mission was, let's just prove that renewables can work. 
uh, yeah, wind turbines spin and they generate electricity. Um, <laughs> the mission has changed now to figure out how can we integrate renewables to a greater extent such that we are relying on them for most of our energy generation. And how can we do that in a way that maintains reliability and keeps costs reasonable for customers? We are a unique organization in that we represent both the industry that builds, develops, operates, uh, manufactures equipment for renewable energy. We also represent environmental organizations that are interested in the decarbonization benefits of renewable energy. And so my days are usually filled with trying to meet that sweet spot in between economic development opportunity and decarbonization and environmental benefits of renewables. If you could give me an elevator pitch on the end goal of Renewable Northwest, what is it? What would it sound like? It's an electricity grid that is 100% served by renewable energy in the entire Western region. Our advocacy work is focused on the Pacific Northwest, which is Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and Montana. The electricity grid is much larger than that. And we're part of efforts to make sure that the work that we do is compatible with other states in the West. You mentioned the electrical grid. As it stands now, primarily powered by non-renewable energy sources, what kind of grade would you give it? Is it in danger of failing? Is it just not doing what we need it to do efficiently in terms of being green? It's functional, but how would you say it could be better? That's a really good question. We're doing okay in this region right now because we are very fortunate that we have this amazing hydrologic resource of the dams in the region. So we're a little farther ahead of some regions in this country in terms of already having a significant amount of non-emitting resources. That said, we do still rely heavily on coal and natural gas to generate power in this region. We have challenges getting to the point where we can remove those from our energy mix and rely 100% on renewables. And so that's the job that we focus on is how do we, how do we get that really high concentration of, of renewable generators on the grid? How do we phase out the fossil fuel emitting resources? What percentage of the grid would you say is being powered by renewable energy now, region specific in the West? So I'll use Oregon as an example. Right now, Oregon gets about 43% of their energy generation from hydro resources. The next highest generation source comes from coal at 24%. Behind that is natural gas at 21%, wind coming in at about 4.7%, and then nuclear at 3.7% and solar at 1.3%. So we have a ways to go. A ways to go. But in a glass half full way of looking at it, if I hear your hydro, wind, and solar, that's almost 50%. Yes. Yeah. How much has that changed in the last 20 years? Are we moving in the right direction? Absolutely. I'd say the change is with the addition of wind and solar and some coal has come offline. Uh, we're seeing coal retirements in Oregon. And then some of the coal is retiring outside of the state of Oregon that Portland General Electric buys from Montana and other places. So we are seeing coal retirements and the increase of renewables, not quite as quick as other regions are bringing on new renewables and not quite as quick as we'd like to see. As I mentioned off the top, so far in our series, 
We've already done stories on the carbon capture work being done at Pacific Northwest National Laboratory in Richland, uh, the wave research being done at Hinsdale Research Laboratory at Oregon State. This region seems to be home to a lot of this kind of green or renewable energy research. Why do you think that is? Well, I think the Western states, Oregon, Washington, and California, have traditionally been very early movers in the environmental movement and in the clean energy movement. And so you see a lot of first steps. I mean, we were we were first in recycling and um, setting emission standards for cars and things like that. So I'm not surprised that we're seeing a lot of research in this area. We also do enjoy having organization like Pacific National Labs right here in our backyard and um, some great universities that have also seen the importance of doing energy research. We've got dams providing a lot of hydropower. And if you drive through the gorge, you see these huge wind farms And there are some solar developments scattered here and there. As you think of the technologies we're talking about here, which of them do you see the most impactful positively in the region, specifically between hydro, wind, and solar? So if if, if I might, I might want to reframe this question a little bit because This is how traditionally the electricity grid was defined. We talked about it in the past, like it's this system where power is being generated 24 hours and we're focused on generating power to meet the load. But when you bring in the variable generators like the renewables and even hydro, you have to shift that thinking a little bit. You have to shift the thinking to not which is the best variable generator on the system that I can rely on 24 hours, but what is the combination of all these variable generators that I'm gonna need to meet my resource needs, to meet my load needs? And you have to also ask, what can I do on the demand side to match the generation a little bit more? We used to talk about generation meeting load. Now we ask the question, how can can load meet the generation? Like how, how can we switch that dynamic a little? Does that make sense? If I'm hearing what you're saying, as we combine renewable energy resources to supplement and eventually replace traditional energy resources, along with that, we have to take a serious look at our demand, how we're using power. Is that because sources of renewable energy will never match the output? Or does it just make the system a lot more efficient if we're using a lot less? I like to start with the latter, with the importance of energy efficiency. Um, It is definitely something we need to consider. I mean, if you think back to 20 years ago, when we relied on this baseload theme of energy generation, we also didn't have data centers that were running 24 hours a day. We also didn't have our homes that were electrically connected to all these devices. And so our energy use has skyrocketed and our energy use peaks during certain times, we also have to address the changes in our climate, changes to our weather that are causing peak events that are peakier, Mm -hmm. hotter or colder than we've seen before. We have more extreme events to deal with. We also have the effects of climate change on like for say the hydro system. Are we still getting the same snowpack that we need to charge the hydro system? And can we rely on that in the future? So there's lots of variables that have changed. And so that's why I think we need to take a close look at the demand side. But to your original, your first question was about, 
is it because these variable generators just don't operate all the time, like say a gas plant did? My response to that is, it is a um, misnomer to, to state that a gas plant can run 24 hours a day and always be efficient and always provide you the energy when you need it. They are equally affected by extreme weather. They have efficiency issues like most generators do. And so it's hard to do an apples to apples comparison, but when you combine a portfolio of generators like solar and wind and storage and hydro and demand response, you can get the same benefit as you can from an output of a, of a baseload generator like coal or natural gas, much less expensively and much more efficiently and without the, the carbon emissions. The way that I understand the history of power generation here in the Northwest, when you look at renewable energy, we've been able to study the effectiveness and efficiency and the use of hydropower longer than solar and longer than wind. What are some of the real benefits of the rivers and dams and hydrological power stations we've got here in the Pacific Northwest? For the most part, those investments have been made. That's that's one they're thing. Paid for. Um, they're paid for. Yeah. I mean, there's ongoing maintenance that, mm -hmm. that happens and there's ongoing mitigation for the environmental impacts of those dams. We used to talk about the hydro system as, you know, the world's largest battery. We've got this amazing battery here that can hold water. We can discharge it whenever we want when the wind's not blowing. I think that's a little bit of a false characterization as well. We have changes in climate that are affecting the water storage behind the dams. We have a responsibility to manage fish habitat. And the dams serve a lot more purposes than just energy generation. There's irrigation, there's recreation, there's fish habitat. So I don't think that going forward, we can put any more flexibility demands on the hydro system. So we couldn't say, we'll just build thousands more megawatts of wind and solar and rely on the dams to be there when we need them. I, I think that's that's a false um, a false hope, given all the other challenges we have with with the managing the dams. And so that's where this demand side and storage comes in is really important. The other thing I think we need to take into consideration about the dams is um, something that isn't really related to the the value of the dams from their electrical generation standpoint, but looking at the the impact that the construction and the operation of the dams has had on communities in the region, in the history of this region, and in particular to the tribal communities that had long standing cultural and economic impacts related to the construction of those dams that has not been acknowledged today. And so I think it's really important that as we move forward, those sacrifices are acknowledged and that tribes are allowed to be at the table when we make decisions about what happens with the dams because we don't think they were well represented in the past. Building off that, we have seen a move to remove some dams. Is hydropower, is dam power in danger? No, I think, I think the, um, the focus for those dam removal conversations has been on a handful of dams that have been proven to be inefficient. The counter argument to that is that they play an important role in the region for providing capacity. Capacity being different from energy and that capacity is ability to, to get energy when it's needed. 
you know, there's, there's always two sides to every story. In this case, there's probably five or six <laughs> sides to the story of dam removal in the region where on one side you have people making really valid, valid arguments about the impacts that these dams have had on fish habitats and on native communities in the region. On the other hand, you have the question of, well, here we are trying to decarbonize our electricity system. How can we do that when you remove dams? And I think it's important to acknowledge that the conversation around those dams isn't, isn't a conversation around all dams. Well, there probably are people that want all dams removed. I, I think it's, 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 it's a separate issue that is being considered for those particular dams. It seems to me one of the things the renewable energy community is constantly dealing with is this attitude that cleaner energy is not cost efficient. Historically, when I have had conversations about sources of renewable energy and the benefits that we could see as the technology gets better, cost still is a major concern. There seems to always be an argument against wind power or solar power or wave power based solely on it not being financially efficient. Do you think that is actually the case? And what is Renewable Northwest doing to try and change either that as a misconception or that as its reality? Well, um, I always say this is a really good time to become the executive director of Renewable Northwest because <laughs> I don't have to have the, the arguments about costs anymore because the truth is that the levelized cost of unsubsidized energy coming from renewables is competitive with that of fossil generators. And, you know, we are the zero marginal cost resource. It doesn't cost anything to procure wind or solar. It's there. It's free. We don't have to rely on a source of fuel that has a volatile price. I mean, we're seeing what's happening right now with fuel prices and we don't have the same volatility in the wind market. It's free. We do have the upfront capital costs though. And with the help of tax credits, that has, that has come down quite a bit over you know, the last 10 years. I think, you know, the renewable portfolio standards that we set in this region that help kind of kickstart this industry and the tax credits that we've had have really done their job. They really have the whole purpose of them was to kickstart the industry, bring the cost down. It's done a great job. And now we're competitive. Nicole, do you see a scenario or maybe I don't know, multiple scenarios that advancements in renewable energy technology in the near or maybe just past near future will turn it into a real moneymaker, something that businesses and investors can get involved in, not just because it's the right thing to do for the planet. We know a lot of people are driven by their bank account. Will they get involved because there is actually money to be made? Absolutely. There is real money to be made. Um, our members make money off of these projects. And they have increased the tax base of a significant number of counties in the state of Oregon already. You take a county like Sherman County, had one of the smallest tax bases in the state. And now at the end of 2020, specifically related to renewable energy, they have a tax revenue of $150 million. For the counties, at least it's income. Where is that money actually coming from? That's the real property taxes that the projects are paying to the counties. One would presume that then the schools in that county get the benefit of that. The social services, everything in the county that takes tax money should be benefiting from that. Yes, absolutely. Direct payments by renewable energy companies to counties in 2020 alone totaled $37 million. 
So these are also payments in addition to taxes. So the benefit is that's money that the counties get to decide how to spend. And this is also in addition to the direct payments to landowners. So they'll get a lease fee for a wind turbine on their property. It's usually a base fee plus a, a, a royalty based on the generation of that unit. There's monies paid to landowners for roads, um, money is paid to landowners for transmission lines, and any impacts to agricultural land is covered as well. There's a multiplier effect for all that money that's spent in those regions. The research that we did recently showed that if you invest a million dollars in a in a particular community related to renewable energy, that multiplier effect is about 1.62. So there's an additional 620,000 that's directly or indirectly related to the investment of renewables in that community. A lot of the headlines you read and a lot of the reporting we have done as I mentioned off the top, on climate change and human-caused global warming, paint this really dire picture of the results of inaction. From your seat at Renewable Northwest, how urgent is this problem? And beyond that, are we moving fast enough to address it? I mean, the, the short answer is no, I don't think we're moving fast enough. I mean, I liken this to if you were to go to your doctor and he was to say, the most important thing in your life right now is to reduce your salt intake or you're going to have a heart attack. And your answer would be, okay, but I might do that in 2040. <laughs> and that, that's, that's the way people like me look at this. Like if someone were to tell you, this is the, this is the biggest crisis humanity has ever experienced. Why do we wait so long to get it done? I mean, the answer that in some cases is reasonable is it takes a while to transition but there are things that can be done sooner. And that, that's what we push is we push the early investment, the early action. The end dates that we get to is a process of negotiation with the entities that will be affected by this. And that's where we get. That's what we have to work with. Are you hopeful that the ball is moving in the right direction? When you look in your crystal ball, do you see a region or a world that is powered almost exclusively by renewable energy? I think we've done a better job in the energy sector or the electricity sector, I'll say, than we have in some of the other sectors that are major emitters of carbon. The work that we've done in this region on cleaning up the electricity grid will become the backbone of what happens in the other sectors. Transportation is the second greatest emitter of carbon in this region or, or in the world. And Without a really solid clean energy grid to be there to support the additional charging that's going to be needed for electric cars, we wouldn't be able to get there. So I think that, you know, I have a lot of hope for the work we're doing on electricity grid. Now it's time for the other sectors, including transportation and the home and building heating sectors to start making that transition as well. Throughout the course of our conversation the phrase tax incentives came up. Do you think the renewable energy effort is getting the support it needs from lawmakers at the state and federal level? We were very pleased with the recently passed infrastructure package. It has some much needed funding for things like transmission, which is a key piece of decarbonizing the region. In the proposed Build Back Better plan, there are additional tax incentives and, and extended tax incentives being considered. Those are always helpful with the amount of money that's going to need to be invested in this industry in the years to come. I think that 
any tax credit or any investment by the federal government will return a benefit to the country in the form of additional jobs, which create tax revenue for the country. When you're talking to elected officials or committees in Salem or giving presentations, lectures at universities, do you think people get it? I think people get it. I think there's still sort of an ideological opposition to some of this because this notion, it's similar you see with the vaccines where it's become political, where the defense of gas and coal has been associated with the more conservative policymakers as a way of life that they're trying to preserve. And so in many cases, it's not really about what the right thing is to do for the environment and for humanity. It's just about preserving ideological policies. And I think that's really problematic when you try and unravel all the pieces and get down to the nitty gritty. I have no, you know, zero concern about making the argument that it's better for our economy to invest in renewables today than it is to continue to rely on fossil generating resources for years to come. The argument that this is going to hurt my business, it's really hard to listen to that because is it really about your business? Do we really care about your business? I mean, yes, there are jobs associated with that, but we can we can do this transition in a way that provides more economic benefit and more opportunity, more sustainable opportunities going forward. And the longer you get in the way of making this happen, the less likely you are to be a part of that positive transition. You're a firm belief, both personally and your professional chair, that evolution towards renewable energy would be net positive across the board. Absolutely. From a health perspective, from an economic perspective, sustainable jobs. The other issue that often gets overlooked is this concept of resiliency. How do we create a resilient grid that is able to withstand some of the things that Mother Nature throws at us? Well, you can easily plop down a small solar project on the end of a distribution line that can be islanded in the case of of an outage and still keep a community center running, still keep a hospital running. You can't do that with a gas plant. So I think there's a lot more opportunities and a lot more unique ways we can use renewables than we can with the traditional resources that we've relied on for so long. Nicole, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. What excites you most about the future of renewable energy and the work you're doing at Renewable Northwest? I think the thing that I I get most excited about is the unique ways we're looking at how renewables can be used on the system. It's more than just a straight contract for energy. There's a lot of very nuanced uses of of an inverter-based technology that can solve a lot of our, our grid resiliency and reliability issues that haven't even been explored. So there's like a whole world out there of very nerdy (laughs) solutions that we're involved with. The other thing that really excites me and something that we haven't touched on here yet today is that a really important part of making our decarbonization goals a reality is learning how to look at the at the energy grid from more of a regional perspective instead of a utility by utility perspective. So today, a lot of the planning is done on a utility by utility basis. How much resource do I need? How do I get transmission built? How do I maintain reliability? We're starting to look at that 
on a, from a more regional perspective and realize that there is a amazing resource that's in this geographic region that I could use to balance out what I'm trying to do here. You know, the wind blows at different times in Montana and a different frequency than it does in the Columbia River Gorge. So maybe if we can look, we can use those resources over a larger footprint, we can meet some of these needs and be able to maintain reliability and do it in a cost-effective manner. That's the next adventure of our, of our industry. If you look at the timeline of this industry, where are we now on it? Well, that's a great question. I think we're still early. I still think there's so much advancement and so much learning and growth that we have in front of us. I think we're kind of in the... Uh, we're kind of in the toddler years. We got the we got we got up and running. We're standing, we're walking, and we're learning how to talk, but we don't really know how to share and play well together quite yet. So that's the next phase. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. That was fun. Hi, this is Jeff Giannola from Coin6 News, and I'd like to invite you to watch Coin6 News at 10 on Portland CW, a full hour of the stories that are important to you and your family. See why more people are switching to Coin6 News at 10 on Portland CW. Cannabis. Cannabis. Less than 10 years ago, it was trafficked in the shadows. Today, you get a receipt with your purchase. I'm Travis Box. Each episode, I'll sit down one-on-one with the major players in the Oregon cannabis industry. The activists. The medical professionals. The legislators. The economists. The regulators. Where does this budding billion-dollar industry go from here? It's the Mainstream Weedia Podcast. Coming this November. To the Coin Podcast Network. The Coin 6 weather team has the most accurate forecast in town. Certified by WeatherRate. Coin 6 weather. Watching out for you.